What's up, everybody? It's Dr. Will Cole. Hey, it's Seamus Mullen here joining you as well. Another episode of Goop Fellas. So yeah. I am really stoked about today's conversation, but it was such a special conversation. Mr. Anthony of Queer Eye fame. He's literally mm-hmm. one of the kindest, most gracious people you'll meet. He's really lovely. Uh, and we had a great conversation. It was so fun to sit down with him um, to hear about his relationship with food, uh, his his insecurities around the idea of imposter syndrome, his just this, you know, what what it's meant for him as he's as he's now kind of grown into the public eye and become this this uh, this celebrity and just such mm-hmm. a down to earth and lovely person. Definitely, yeah. So for people that don't know Anthony, you probably recognize him from one of the hottest shows on Netflix, Queer Eye. Um, like who doesn't binge watch this? I know like so many people in my clinic, like binge watch this on the regular. Uh, so we cover so much good stuff and he just came out with a new book Mm -hmm. called Anthony in the kitchen. It's a great book. It's yeah. So basically like Seamus said, he's an awesome guy. We've been in contact over the past year or so, a couple of years talking about food and functional medicine and so much good stuff. He's such an interest in all the stuff you and I have interest in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm really excited for people to hear about this conversation. And you you worked with his sister, right? Yes. Yeah, his sister, uh, who he talks about publicly mm-hmm. on the show, ha- has MS, has an autoimmune condition. Uh, so I did have a, the pleasure to to talk with her and I sent her a copy of Ketotarian as well. Uh, she just has an interest in all this stuff as well. And when it hits home, as we both know, uh, we realize as human beings, we have to do something different to see Mm -hmm. something different. So this is something that Anthony, his sister, you, I all have seen in our lives that I think brought us all together. Awesome. All right, well, let's jump into our conversation with Anthony. Anthony, you don't know this. You're my secret bromance. Oh, man. What? (laughs) This is how we're starting it off? (laughs) You're gonna start it out with me blushing? (laughs) It's official. I'm finally meeting you in person. Okay. Uh, well, it's so nice to properly yeah. meet you. Uh, hello. Um, hey. Hi. What am I? Chopped liver? Two All bromances right. right here. For but me. we've been, so we, we got in touch originally during, uh, like via Instagram right after the show came out, I think. Mm-hmm. How? How did it happen? Functional medicine was your sister. It That's was, what it was. It was no, Terry sh- Walls. It's, really, it, it's through it's through uh, the bond that ties us all in, Doctor Terry Walls. You know, she was she was integral to my recovery, overcoming RA. She's like one of the first people that I reached out to and saw as like a beacon of hope. She's mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah, amazing. So thanks for coming on to Goop Fellas. Thank you so much for for having anything for for Goop Goop Fellas and anything attached under that umbrella. I'm, yeah. I'm a big supporter. Yeah. For sure. So something I wanted to talk to you about was anxiety. I've struggled with anxiety over my life, and I I know that you have as well. Mm -hmm. Can you... Also count me in. Yeah, so all of us. (laughs) I've had a lot of issues with anxiety. Do you guys still have it? I do, yeah. Mm -hmm. I still deal with anxiety. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm still, waiting for the day that I ask somebody, like, how did you cure your anxiety? And <laughs> like, I've yet like, to meet that person. <laughs> I used to be anxious, but I'm not anymore. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's just you, you managing it you, you and dampening it. it and living with it. So tell me about your journey with it. So I would say my anxiety probably started March 14th, 1984 on a cold <laughs> Montreal winter's morning when I was born. Let me get born. your born, yeah. That's yeah. The, the most stressful um, thing that happens to us. I, yeah, and to my mother. Um, <laughs> I, I've had it my whole life. I think it's something that has always been there in some way, shape, or form. It was 
particularly pronounced during my 20s when I was in university. I was studying psychology at the time. You know, education is like getting university is tough on anybody and it's a very stressful time. Add to that, like working a night job and a day job and partying a lot more and doing a lot of drugs in your 20s certainly does not help anxiety. Um, at least not the type of drugs that I did. (laughs) And so, and just like the existential angst of like wanting to figure out who I am on this planet and what I want to do. But I I will say like in my early 20s, it was about the big things and the little things. It was about the big things like, what do I want to do with my life? Do I want to be a psychologist? Do I want to be an actor? I wanted to be all these things and I couldn't sort of focus. Mm -hmm. And then even the little things like, I call it, I I read recently about, you know, everyone talks about FOMO, fear of missing Mm -hmm, out. And then now there's this thing called, there's a lovely Times article that talks about FOBO. It's fear of a better option. And it's people who have problems making decisions. And that's always me because it's like, oh, am I making the right choice? And is there a better one? Mm -hmm. And little things like that can cause me severe anxiety as well. So fast track to 15 years later, and I still have anxiety. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to report or unhappy (laughs) or whatever. It's just part of me. So I might as well just accept it. But I think that's what it is. It's just kind of accepting it as a thing that's part of me. And now I feel like I kind of have the tools depending on the day. If I'm taking care of myself, and I know that's kind of like what you guys are about is like a lot of health and wellness. But when I'm eating well and I'm sleeping, my most recent thing is like eight hours of sleep a night. Mm -hmm. All of those things can really contribute to being able to manage the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Sadly, it's not a cure, but it's more about accepting it when it comes and being like, oh, hello, little friend, mm-hmm. there you are. But now I have tools and I have things that I can do to kind of work mm-hmm. with it, like not consuming as much caffeine as mm-hmm. I would normally like to. Right, I hear you on that. That's a hard one for me. Do you drink a lot of coffee? Oh my God, well, I don't drink a lot, but it's like, um, you know, yeah, three cups, four cups. Okay, but I mean, I'm down to five. Okay, okay, you're you're worse than I. Anything am. above that, you notice? <laughs> I, my leg time. will shake when I go to sleep, and it doesn't matter how many <laughs> melatonin gummies I have, <laughs> or like valerian root steep yeah. tea, or whatever it is. Like I will not, and yeah. I just won't sleep well, and it affects mm-hmm. the following day, and then the day after that. So, what are the other tools you have in your toolbox for it? I think it's having a little conversation with myself where it's sort of like, okay, I'm anxious right now. Do I have, um, where my life is at right now, I'm surrounded by people all the time, whether I'm filming Mm -hmm. or not and running around and doing things. And it's harder to actually have a moment where I'm with myself in silence, but I think it's so important to just, and with me, music tends to help. Mm -hmm. Anything that's like calming and relaxing, like Maggie Rogers or like, the national or like chill music Mm -hmm. that just kind of like puts me at ease Mm -hmm. and where I just have a moment to like address and be like, okay, I'm feeling really anxious right now. My breathing is all messed up. I'm sweating profusely and I'm just able to like address it and tell myself like, this is a thing that's actually happening. Whereas when I was in my twenties, it was just like, I don't understand why this is happening. Right. And I had no idea. And it was that fear of not understanding why and thinking that there was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. But when I address that it is a thing that's happening and when I talk about it more in spaces like this, and then you realize like, you're not the only one who's going through this. Like you're not terminally unique and plenty of people have dealt with it in the past mm-hmm. and have survived and are even thriving. Yeah, nobody yeah. dies from worrying about a problem. Correct. And no yeah. problem is solved by worrying about it. Correct. That's the really that's the hard one. That's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah, because it's really easy just to get in that hamster wheel, and you're like, oh my god. No, it's a simple statement, but it's so true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something that uh, stuck out uh, to me actually in the book in your new book, which is amazing, 
Yeah, I love the recipes. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Is that the call you got to be on the show, to be on Queer Eye, and you were elated, you were excited, and that was quickly followed by self-doubt and like fear and dread on, am I, are they going to know I'm an imposter or a Mm -hmm. fake or I'm, I don't have what it takes to do that. Can you? That's such a human thing that we've all been through. So I, I love that you wrote, a, wrote about it. Can you talk about that? Yeah, imposter syndrome. Um, I like yeah. to think that I invented it because <laughs> I'm, it's so close to my heart and, and to who I am as a person. Um, I had it for two reasons. Queer Eye wasn't part of my plan. It wasn't something that I ever wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to... I'm very private about my sexuality and it's something that I've... I don't know if for sure I've had shame about it growing up because I always knew that I was fluid and it was like boys, girls, both. I don't really know. Still not 100% sure. Um, and then food was something that was very intimate and private to me. It wasn't something that I wanted to pursue in a, in, in a professional way. Mm-hmm. And I, had, um, I was around a lot of chefs growing up, every restaurant job that I, that, I, that I was in, and I had a profound amount of respect for them. So to be like a food and wine expert on a show and be referred to as a chef and constantly correcting people and being like, no, I'm a home cook. I didn't go to school for this. Like I'm self-taught at first that sort of came with like shame. And then it kind of like turned into like a pride and being like, Oh, but I think, yeah, imposter syndrome is, is a real thing. And queer eye is a show that came about and literally highlights two of the things that I did not want to do in public. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the way I use the word God, but not in a religious sense, but mm-hmm. sort of like whatever that is to you. My God is the little prince. If you haven't read that childhood <laughs> book, it's one of the most important pieces Lippity of literature Pulse. ever in the history of the world. Love and everyone it. should read it. It's available in all languages. So that's my God. And that's kind of like that was my God's plan apparently was to to showcase these two things that I was just like did not want to do mm-hmm. publicly. And I just kind of had to lean into it. And I didn't really have a choice. I mean, I guess I did have a choice because I said yes to the job. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget that, actually. And I'm calling myself out on it now because I often tell myself, like, oh, I don't have, tell myself I don't have a choice. But, like, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. And it's something that I struggle with still a lot less. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you get successful and when you work on a lot of different projects, your confidence builds. And, like, when you're writing a cookbook, you realize, like, oh, I'm not a complete idiot. Like, I actually, when my editor first contacted me and was like, okay, so we're going to do 100 recipes. And I was like, holy shit, like how can I, can I come up with 100 recipes? She's yeah, like, mm-hmm. treat it like an autobiography. Look at food in your life, your Polish heritage, food you ate as a broke-ass student, stuff that you made for your friends, stuff that you've learned on the show from traveling. And before we knew it, we had like 120, 130 recipes. And I was like, oh, I'm not like a complete moron. Mm-hmm. Um, not that anybody is a moron if they know uh, two recipes. That doesn't make them a moron. <laughs> but for me, for myself, I only speak for my experience. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the whole I love this. I know that we jump into the idea of imposter syndrome because I think it's something that all of us, in some capacity, suffer from. And I think a lot of it is driven by the social climate that we live in right now, because everybody is sort of put forward as an expert, and then you know you're, we're held up on this pedestal as being an expert about this and that, and we have to be infallible and you have to know everything. And the social media and all of the 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 things that come along with it put so much pressure on us and there's and if you do like you're in the public eye you're open to a lot of criticism and 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 how do you i mean how do you handle that how can you handle it that's a daily reprieve if you get me on the right day i remind myself i am enough i have enough and not everyone is going to love me which Mm -hmm. was the biggest lesson of all time i had that lesson very early on yeah when queer eye came out there was an article that came out in a certain publication and Ted Allen, my predecessor on the show and my old boss, sent me the article. And he was like, Ant, you've made it. And this article singled me out 
they made me out to be like the star of the show. I felt like a million bucks. I sent that article to everybody and their <laughs> mother, my dad, and I was so happy. And then the same publication, a week later, somebody wrote, I would call it a scathing piece that uh -huh. just completely destroyed me. And that was such an important lesson for me because as somebody who I have this need for everyone to love me right. and I do it with food and charm and whatever mechanism I can use to have people love me because of my own abandonment issues, uh -huh. but that's for another topic. <laughs> um, what I learned was like, if you're going to be taking all of the good and all of the love, you have to take the criticism right. as well. And it was the ultimate lesson for me because it was like, you know what? Not everyone's going to like everything that you do. Yeah. And all I can do is like stay in my lane. And it kind of ties into one of my, like my, my recent things that I'm tackling is uh, compare and despair. Mm -hmm. There's always somebody who's doing better. There's always somebody new around the block who's coming into like the same field or somebody who's even in a different field where I'm like, oh, I'm not working as hard enough as they are. Mm -hmm. That's my recent thing where I'm like, I'm not working hard enough. Mm -hmm. And um, what was the question? No, that <laughs> you was answered yeah, it. You answered answer. it. That you're not. You're not an avocado. That's the answer. <laughs> I'm not an avocado. Yeah, you can't. Never please was. No, you can't. You can't please everyone. That's can't something that everyone. you really helped me with when ketotarian came out on a much smaller scale. But I just can't handle. I'm the same way. I don't. I want people to like me, and they're not. They're saying negative things on social media. It's so easy to like have it wreck your day. Who's saying negative things about you? I will come <laughs> after them. <laughs> get them. Anthony's gonna get you. So I mean, yeah. You helped me out to recenter myself and realize people, you're not going to please everybody. And we know that intellectually, but do we know that emotionally? Yeah. It's a lot harder, I think, to accept it on an emotional level yeah. where it's like, oh, you don't like me. And, and, and often it's not even you. It's it has just nothing to do with you. It, it has, has something to, to do, do with, with them. And yeah. even if, you know what, if someone doesn't like my nose, then my nose is just not for them. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And like, what are you going to do? It's, it's a good strength building exercise. And it's kind of... You know, I wish that I could figure out how to, I, I, I do always start with everything that I say. I always like love my little disclaimer as always in my own experience or mm -hmm. in my experience. It's like, I'm coming from me. This is what I've lived through yeah. and I'm speaking from what I know. I don't try to be an expert overall in like a global sense. And so that kind of like puts me at ease a little bit or I even tell myself that before I say anything. But mm -hmm. it's, it's hard, especially when it's something that you're so passionate about. Like, this is your life's work, mm -hmm. and your goal is to actually help people. You both do that with your books and th with your experience and with your, you know, with your living with, like, rheumatoid arthritis. Like, these are, like, real things. And so mm -hmm. they're, they're very close to your heart. And to have somebody criticize something that you've put a lot of time, energy, love, and effort into, it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. It yeah. really sucks. It does. Yeah. But, but it's, it's, it, you just have to – I mean, it's very, very difficult, but you really have to take stock of – you have to almost be compassionate to that person and say, this clearly has much more to do with whatever their experience is. The world, the lenses they're seeing the world through, and mm -hmm. it's got very little to do with me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, of course, if we're a total asshole and we're out there being a total asshole, then we probably have earned it and deserve that yeah, kind of criticism. Yeah, that's a different story. It's a different story. But the majority of the time, it the criticism really comes from a place of, of someone else's own pain, mm -hmm. and they're projecting it. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about the book. Mm. How did it come about? Uh, so basically, Queer Eye happened, and and suddenly, like all of these incredible opportunities started coming about. Mm -hmm. And my uh, my literary agent, we basically had a discussion, and he was like, "Okay, are you you know your your castmates are considering doing memoirs, and like, what's your version of that?" And I'm 35. While I'm no spring chicken, I don't feel Same like age. I'm. Oh, really? Yeah. 
bromance thickens. What is your skincare regimen? See, I'm already oh getting God. distracted. <laughs> this is the second time we've had this conversation today. Someone told today. me that earlier today. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's functional medicine, man. Really? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I've already gotten distracted by your lack of wrinkles. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty incredible. Thanks. But so basically, like, yeah, we were thinking, like, what's my version of a memoir? And for me, it was the only way that I, it's th th my, the best way that I like to convey stories is basically through food. And so we decided, like, okay, let's do a cookbook. Did I ever have a day in my life where I thought, like, I would write a cookbook one day? No. It wasn't, it wasn't something that I had thought of. So I kind of went into it a little blindly. And again, the more I started thinking about it, I was thinking about, like, well, who's inspired me and, like, books that I've loved um, that I've read and I realized like oh yeah like I have a shit ton of cookbooks and I've like read these mm -hmm. I would like look at a recipe it would stay in my brain and then like two months later you recreate it based on like whatever elements I would remember it was a very arduous process I decided it's that so it was hard oh, oh my god well, how many do you have I have two and yeah. I, they're they're very hard yeah <laughs> it's a lot of work it was like while I was filming 10-12 hour days and then you show up at home and then I'm, I'm asked to measure shit yeah I've never measured <laughs> anything in my life. Cook. I'm like, use the palm of my hand. They're like, yeah. Anthony, you have massive hands with like clubbed <laughs> fingers. It's like we don't use those measurements. Um, so I had to be sort of like very calculated and, and kind of figuring all that out. It took a long time. It was a lot of late night eating, which did mm -hmm. not go really well with my fasting schedule. <laughs> um, but we figured it out, and uh, and and here we are. But it was it was pretty incredible when I. I was heading to a shoot and I was about to leave the house and I got my packages for the day and then I opened one up and Did it you was get the, the book. galley. Oh, that's the best feeling. It's and you hold so, it and you're like, it's real. It's real. I made this. And like the time and, and, and effort that it took, like all of the people who contributed on mm -hmm. it from my incredible co-author, Mindy Fox, who's like such a champ and would, oh, that poor thing, she was tracking me down during production and like texting me in the middle of a scene and being like, you use lemon zest in a lot of recipes. Can we cut it out of this one? I'm like, we'll cut it out of some of them, but not this one because it's really important. Okay, um, what about on, no. And it was like, no, it has to stay in that. So it was this like constant yeah. back and forth. Um, we got to know each other really well, very quickly. Um, but it was, um, it, it was, I just love, I love anything that's a collaborative effort. I think the most successful work that I do is always when other people are involved. That's how I work best. I actually yeah. work best with women in general because I feel like, um, there's just, it's always, it's always easier for me. I mm -hmm. get along with women really well. And, um, and, and there were just some like from, you know, Rux Martin, who's my incredible editor. She's like, when I found out that she, she did all of, uh, Jacques Pépin's cookbooks, I was like, what are you doing with <laughs> me? Like, what is going on in the world? It's the guy who I watched on PBS every single yeah. day growing up with like Julia Child. And it's like, ugh. Anyway, what is life? <laughs> what are some of your favorite recipes in your book? My favorite recipe? You can't ask him that question. That's the hardest question to answer. They're like your children. They're all well, pick your I'll, favorite kid. I'll, I'll talk about who's my favorite kid. I would say that it's, it's, it's a, the style of cuisine that I was most excited to really delve into. Um, when I was growing up in Montreal, very multicultural, diverse mm -hmm. environment, we were always encouraged to talk about our heritage and the food that like, we grew up with. And when I moved to West Virginia in junior high, it was a very different place. And mm -hmm. this isn't like saying anything disparaging about the people, but there was a lot less diversity. So when I showed up with cabbage rolls to lunch and other kids had like Cheetos and like 
those awesome Oscar Mayer Lunchables, mm-hmm. which I always envied <laughs> yeah. because like I didn't have those as a kid, and I love that processed, squeaky, weird orange cheese yeah. mm-hmm. um, and bologna. <laughs> oh gosh, I never had that as a kid, so I wanted it. And then they like smell cabbage on your lunch, and like they see kielbasa, and suddenly I was embarrassed for who I was. And then people brought to my attention that my name isn't um, as common sounding as like a lot of names. And mm-hmm. suddenly I developed this shame at a later age, at like 12 or 13 for my Polish heritage. And then I developed like a disdain for anything that had anything to do with anything Polish. Like I mm-hmm. actually even tried to have my name changed when I started working as an actor to make it sound a little more American. Uh, when we decided we were doing the cookbook, I decided like what a great opportunity to revisit these old Polish classics, mm-hmm. the food that my mother and that like all these, all the, all the mostly women, except my father does make the Polish hunter stew, which is one of my favorite dishes in yeah. the cookbook. I decided to revisit those recipes and it was just sort of, it was like I had a really, I understood what the sense of like, what the definition of homecoming meant, at least to me. And so to like revisit those recipes and be like, but we're going to tweak it a little bit. We're not going to put beer in the stew. I want to put a bottle of red wine and treat it like a bourguignon instead Mm -hmm. and kind of like bring my own little spin and my own experience into it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was really nice. I had a big smile on my face, especially when we did all the the Polish classics. Awesome. Yeah, I had the same experience. A lot of the recipes in my first book, book are from my grandmother. Or they're inspired by recipes from my grandmother. And that that heritage and that lineage of, of I mean, I always think of food as being the language of culture. 100%. And it's, it's this evolving story. And what's beautiful about it is that it's not static. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it changes as your family comes to Montreal from Poland and becomes, you know, interacts with other cultures and meets, has different ingredients to cook with. Traditional Polish food becomes something completely different. And then you bring it to New York and you change the beer for the wine and it becomes something else. And it well, continues that's the to American evolve. thing, right? Is that yeah. we get to learn about like what American Italian cuisine is and mm-hmm. how you don't have to be so precious about it. I think that's one of the most important lessons that I I've learned not directly from him, but just about being obsessed with David Chang is that like, Mm -hmm. we don't have to be so Mm -hmm. dogmatic, precious, dogmatic, and like purist about it. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about food as medicine? I mean, that's partly how we met. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something that you bring on the show as well of like taking these people that don't know real food. Right. And you teach them about real food. Yeah. Um, I think one of the earlier lessons that I had was like, never take for granted or assume that somebody has a certain amount of knowledge about food. The, the lesson really came, it came on the first week. We had this awesome guy, Tom Jackson, um, who, uh, and his beloved redneck margarita, as he called it, not me. Um, <laughs> and it was basically, it was Mountain Dew or Mellow Yellow and like brown tequila from a plastic oh. jug in like freezer mugs. And so he talked about how, you know, he, he, he talked on the show about having lupus and I wasn't super familiar with it, but I knew that it's an, it's an autoimmune thing. And knowing what I know about my sister's diagnosis with uh, multiple sclerosis, um, I know that like nightshades are a big topic of conversation. And so I started asking him about his diet and he was like, well, I smoke, you know, X amount of cigarettes a day. I had no idea tobacco is a nightshade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had no clue. Yeah. And then he has this like burrito that he ate every day that had like three peppers in it. And it's like, peppers are nightshades, garlic and literally everything that he ate. And while I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a nutritionist. There is a lot of studies there that do, there is like a, there is a relationship and something to be mentioned about nightshades and autoimmune illness. And so I, uh, I decided to make him this like whole spread. I made uh, a nightshade, I use this in air quotes, a nightshade free salsa, which uh-huh. was basically jicama, um, a bit of like charred summer corn, black beans out of a can, low sodium, of course. 
a shit ton of cilantro because I love cilantro and you should always mm-hmm. use the stems. Amen. <laughs> and um, and a bit of lime zest and lime juice and um, in teaching him that you can have a salsa that actually has no tomatoes and it's still going to be delicious. And the afterthought, the thing that wasn't even supposed to be mentioned was we're bringing it back to the avocado. Here it is. Mm-hmm. I was like, let's just make a side guac so that it's, that's going to be like your version of a cheese and charcuterie board whenever your cute date comes over and you can have some guac and chips while you prepare this nice sexy meal for your girlfriend. Um, that was the only thing that got used in the episode. But more <laughs> importantly, I was like, do you like guac? He's like, yeah, I have it every day at the restaurant. And then I started cutting open an avocado and he looked at it and he had this like childlike wonderment in his eyes. And he was like, whoa, that's the inside. And I had like, I almost cried. Not like, I was just like, wow. Like he's never seen the inside of this thing that he eats every single day. Mm-hmm. And then I cut open a lime to squeeze lime juice. And he was like, oh, where are the seeds? And I was like, well, most varieties of limes actually don't have seeds, which I'd never thought about, but it was sort of like, oh yeah, I've never bought a lime, except like some key limes have little babies, but like most of them never have seeds in them. And he was like shocked to see the inside. And I was just sort of like, I need to remember this with every single person that I meet. I cannot assume that people have a certain knowledge. Mm -hmm. And it's not coming at it in a preachy way, but just sort of being like, I've had heroes since then, and some of these scenes don't make it, but where they're like, oh, that's like, oh, that's what a clove of garlic looks like. Yeah. And you're like, right, mm-hmm. you don't, you're not familiar with this. Okay, well, I'm going to teach you. We can make a garlic paste. We can cut it in slices and get it really nice and crispy with some broccoli rub. You can cut it into like, you can dice it. You can grate it and put it into a really nice vinaigrette. And it's like, what's nice is that it kind of like, it's, there's something, I don't know. It's, uh, that part is never going to get old. Yeah. It really illustrates how disconnected as a culture we've come from, become from food and cooking. Yeah. We've forgotten. Cooking is like this lost art that we now hold up on a pedestal as though only professionals can cook and that it's so, it's, it, it's so difficult and requires so much skill. And um, unfortunately, I mean, I think it's great what you're doing with your book. Your book is, and I don't mean this in a, in a pejorative way, mm-hmm. but it's really, really approachable. Like the mm-hmm. food is extremely approachable and easy to make. Um, it's not complicated. No, it doesn't have to be hard. And some cookbooks are, but that's not right. Exactly. It's not fucking brain yeah. surgery. And I think yeah. that that's the thing that people get so hung mm-hmm. up on. They're like, oh, I don't have this ingredient, so then I can't make the recipe. And right. the whole idea of the recipe is it's just a springboard. This is where you start. Absolutely. I have to, you have to understand that like sumac isn't available in every yeah. single grocery store. It's like people aren't necessarily familiar with those things. And I... I think a big thing, like what you were mentioning about that, like only professionals can cook. I think that's a big problem is that people think that there's something elitist in eating well. Mm-hmm. There exactly. really isn't. Eating well has very humble beginnings and roots of like mm-hmm. farmers who like harvest their own, you know, vegetables and 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 then prepare them. It just takes a little bit of of, um, of just sharing that information and sharing those stories. It's like, yeah, I think it's, re- and I mean, that's how I, I do it. The only way that I know how is, and it's by finding an emotional component to it. With mm-hmm. every single one of my recipes, my favorite part was actually writing the sort of like the blurb or the intro to like why this the dish why. is important yeah. to me. Yeah, It's not a complicated thing. It's a pork chop that I tried in Mykonos that literally just has oregano and honey and oil and it's like all about getting it like nicely blackened and just getting that like fat cap nice and crispy Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be that hard it really doesn't Mm -hmm. and when there's an emotional reason i think it's a lot easier for people to to sort of like understand like my goal with the book is for people to be like 
oh, like he, you know, d when he discovered Punterelle for the first time, but realized that you can't get that year round, that you can use like other different types of bitter greens and get them nice and curly in a little ice bath. And like, what's my version of that? What did I try mm -hmm. when I went on a, on, on a trip with my family? And like, I tried like Cacho Pepe for the first time mm -hmm. or, or, or whatever it is. Um, I want people to get excited about like what their food story is and, and try to like get into the, get into that and learn a little, be a little more curious about it. Thank you guys so much for listening to our conversation with Anthony and make sure you all get a copy of his new book, Anthony in the Kitchen. What a great book. It's got so many approachable, delicious recipes in it. I and mean, what a great conversation. Really lovely, lovely human. And uh, he talks a lot about this idea of imposter syndrome and now how like people are calling him chef. And he's like, I'm not a chef, I'm a cook. And I'm and he's sort of put into this world of being an authority of on, on food and wine and feeling like, oh, I, I'm not, I shouldn't be this person. He's just, he's an incredibly humble guy. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I loved his honesty. And there's so much, there's so many great takeaways from his conversation, but just so such a good time hanging out with him in the studio. Yeah, so much. And I really liked the fact that we could be all candid about our own personal experience with with anxiety and what that looked like for each of us. And mm -hmm. I think that brings a voice to something that as guys, not a lot of people talk about. We see mm -hmm. maybe anxiety as weakness or something that we don't even think about talking about. We just feel it and don't express how we're feeling. I really uh, am excited for people to maybe see themselves in that because I, I know just from seeing patients how pervasive anxiety is mm -hmm. in all types of people. Um, but it's important to to talk about because we can start, we can reach out, get help, get tools uh, to start feeling, feeling good, feeling whole again and not being riddled with anxiety, which can keep so many people back. So thanks so much to Anthony for being so candid and, and honest with us. Got a question you'd like us to answer? The Goop team is keeping a running list for us, so just hit them up at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. At the end of every episode, we'll be answering a question from one of you guys. If you have a question about us or about men and wellness or really anything else is on your mind, just let us know. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies and ways to approach health and well-being. And I love to talk about food and cooking and, well, reality is anything. I just love to talk. So send your questions over to the Goop team on Instagram or Facebook. As Goop likes to say, nothing is off limits. Garrett asks, what's your ideal workout? Do you want to go first? Or sure. Me? Sitting on the couch, eating potato chips, watching a football game. It's I've just exercised. Really good. <laughs> it's really good. It's just through osmosis, right? You yeah. see the guys running in the field. It's, it's a benefit for you. Yeah. Um, no, I, well, my ideal workout is something that involves being outside. Honestly, I, and, and I like to do things that are not regimented. I, I'm kind of not into the, I mean, I've done boot camp classes and all of that stuff before and CrossFit workouts and blah, blah, blah. But I like to do things where it's, it's, it's not so much about there's, there's an, a play element to it because we use that word work has is so negatively loaded. And then workout means like, you're kind of, okay, I have to do this. There's mm -hmm. like an obligation tag to it. Um, which is probably why I love mountain biking so much. And I love hiking. Mm -hmm. Um, I've recently been getting into hiking a bit more. I've done some really great strenuous hikes. Mm -hmm. And when you do like a really steep hike, I did a hike last week and I was in New York. There's this great hiking trail, um, in cold spring, uh, just up the Hudson called uh, breakneck. 
And it's like a five mile hike, but it's so incredibly steep. It's more of like a rock scramble. And if you really push yourself to, you know, you push yourself hard, it's an incredible workout. And also it keeps you pretty much in that steady state fat burning mode too, because you're never Mm -hmm. really getting so, you know, you're never getting totally anaerobic. You're in that Mm -hmm. fat burning state the whole time. So I, I love doing things like that. Just being in the water, I've been getting into surfing, being here in LA. Um, that's always great because again, it's a, it's that element of play coupled with, with exercise. Yeah. Yeah. But I do, I'll do like, you know, a couple times a week, I'll do a pretty strict kettlebell workout where I'm doing, um, I work out with my buddy Joe and we do kettlebells outside in, in Venice and we get to work out barefoot, which is great and swing yeah, some bells good. and then walk around carrying the bells doing farmers camp carries and we'll jump on the fan bike just to get our, our heart rate up for a bit. Um, but I like to, I like to mix it up. So I guess you would say a combination of some endurance work, some high intensity interval stuff. And, and then I also love to do at least one day a week of yoga and mm-hmm. some sort of more calming um although yoga can be really tough too so yeah, it's not totally. it's just like it's calming what about you i know you do you're really into hit yeah and peloton that's yeah your thing. and i'm not sponsored i love peloton i do that typically in the morning before i oh sleep. i didn't tell you i did it the other day oh you did I, yeah it's only i haven't done it in like two years but i did peloton sweet yeah four you, in the morning the other day. i woke up i was i was on east coast time and i couldn't yeah. sleep so i got up and did peloton love it. yeah i like peloton i like hit like burst training like circuits uh, mixture of body weight with free weights Mm -hmm. that's typically my routine i i'd like to make a little bit more variety into the mix have you ever swung kettlebells i haven't and i want to learn to do it the proper way yeah um i've done it before but it's been minimal Uh, we gotta swing some bells together i know and next time i'm in la for sure yeah you'd love it yeah awesome so that's the answer to your (laughs) question that's a long answer garrett that's it for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Will and I would love to know what you think about Goop Fellas. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to goop.com slash goopfellas. And we hope you'll be here again next Wednesday. Talk soon.